Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm Carolyn Jones, publisher of the Boston Business Journal, alongside my co-host, John Bernstein, regional president of PNC Bank. Thanks, Carolyn. Great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Angela Ruggiero, Chief Executive Officer of the Sports Innovation Lab. The Sports Innovation Lab uses a data-driven approach to help the world's leading sports organizations identify and understand their fans, providing an optimal fan experience. Thanks, John, and welcome, Angela. It's really great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Angela, you've had an amazing career in sports, and now you lead a truly innovative company that focuses on optimizing the fan experience, which I think is fascinating. So maybe to start out, can you tell us a little bit about your work at the lab and your incredible career journey that got you there? Yeah, thank you. So I was able to play in four Olympics uh, for Team USA. It was an amazing first career, as I, as I call it, representing Team USA, playing on the largest platform, you know, bringing home gold medals. I mean, all the amazing things you get as an athlete. I was so fortunate enough to have the benefit of sport. Certainly gave me, I think, a lot of a, the foundational pieces to move into business. We talk a lot about the analogies between sports and business. But starting Sports Innovation Lab, really, I recognized there was a when I was competing, data was everything. You know, how are you managing your your body? How are you training more effectively? How are you, you know, we're here in Boston and, you know, of course, TB12 is a company exploding. Tom Brady's playing into his, you know, late 40s. There's athletes that understand their bodies, use data, can play longer, have better performance. And that same philosophy I wanted to apply to the sports industry, which is if data can actually help you see objectively your blind spots, objectively see the right markets to serve, objectively help you make these big build by partner decisions. You know, that's really what I wanted to do for the the sports industry, the industry I love that's given me so much personally, as I transitioned into the business side of sports, um, it was to create a firm that would allow decision makers to use data in the same way I use as an athlete to play longer than any other man or woman in a Team USA jersey, something I'm super proud of. That same, again, approach if you want to be the Olympic gold medalist in, in the business of sports, you know, hopefully Sports Innovation Lab could provide uh, some insights to do that. But you grew up in L.A., right? Did you come out? The- yep, L.A. How did I, you find hockey? Well, my dad was a um, hockey player for fun just as a kid in New Haven, Connecticut. Oh. So he found the sport living on the East Coast. And then eventually his family moved him to California where he met my mom but like had the hockey bug and was like, my kids are going to play hockey. And um, really he wanted his son, my brother to play hockey. And he went to the rink. It's a fun story. He went to the rink, signed up my brother who was six, a goalie. And they were desperate for hockey players because it was the eighties, like mid late eighties in Southern California. They They didn't have enough kids for a hockey team. So they're like, do you have any other kids? Like sign them up. We'll give you a discount. And he's like, I got a couple daughters. And he's like, oh, sign them up. We'll give you three for the price of two. And, you know, literally I was seven, my sister was eight and the three of us were all on the same team for a couple of years. So I love it. I fell into it. Angela, you've taken your sports career and now you use that experience to help start and grow the business that focuses on the intersection of sports and technology. What are some of the key lessons and insights that have guided you along this path? 
Yeah. I started this company really as someone that needed the product, sitting on various executive boards, having to make these big decisions with little data, a lot of gut and instinct. And, oh, that's how we've, you know, that's who we've always worked with, or that's how we've always done business. And I recognized there was a massive gap in the market. So my biggest insight was as a user, honestly, I'm competing. I'm wanting to make the world a better place. I want to make sports a better industry. And again, my biggest insight was just as a user, really, like there's so much opportunity in the sports industry and entertainment industry for that matter. A lot of underserved communities that because you know we haven't been able to see those markets, we haven't serviced them effectively. And so if I, you know, our my company's mission statement is to empower the industry to be a vet, better version of itself. It's a lot of what I learned as an Olympic ice hockey player. And so, yeah, the insight was really, wow, just there's a big need here. And I personally felt that need, that urgency with, you know, the, the time I spent on the International Olympic Committee on the board there or, you know, servicing on the, serving on the board of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and just needing to, again, help decision makers be more effective in just, you know, their day-to-day lives. Um, so I don't know if that's an insight job, but more of like, I just saw this need that needed to be addressed. And and I love entrepreneurship. I love building. I, I love the creativity with it. I love building teams. And that's what building a company is all about, you know, galvanizing people behind a common cause, making sure everyone's aligned to like what we're trying to achieve, setting your sights extremely high. I mean, Josh, my uh, Walker, my co-founder always jokes. He's like, I worked with Olympian. Like you're never, you know, Bar's never like eh, average. He's like you're always going to go big, um, and I'm like that's just my mentality. So really, yeah, I want to I want to do big things. I want to help this industry in a big way. The lessons you learned from the rink really inform some of the leadership and the goals you set for the company today. Oh, absolutely, and it's what I said before. Why I'm such a proponent of boys and girls getting the opportunity. Why I think our government should really make sure PE doesn't go away, why youth sports, which as we all know, is so expensive and sports it to me is a means of education. Title nine, if people follow title nine at the collegiate level, isn't about sport. It's about sport as a educational tool. And so again, I'm such a massive proponent of, can we ensure that kids get access to sport that at the elite level or the NCAA level here in the States, girls and women and boys get access to the opportunity to learn, that's what I'm taking away from sport. It's not, and it's, you know, it's the friendships and the, you know, all the fun times, but it's really, okay, I learned how to play as a team member. I learned how to fail, you know, well. I learned how to succeed well. I learned how to set goals and and push through to results and, you know, be a role player sometimes and be the, the star player sometimes and all these like intricacies that I got to do on a daily basis that you could learn from and play out now in the business world. And sports is such a safe haven to do that. That's again, why I love talking to athletes sometimes that have moved into the business side. You're always pulling and drawing on lessons from your your playing days into your your professional career. 90% of C-suite women in Fortune 500 companies played sports as an example. Wow. Right there, right there alone. Why aren't we, you know, again, as a society making sure not just the boys, but the boys certainly and the girls. It's it's a testing ground for leadership and and being able to compete, if you will, in the corporate environment. So again, I, I EY did that study a few years ago, and I always quote it because I'm like, that's all you need to know. It's it's a good leadership proving ground for men and women. 
So let's take what you're saying just a little bit deeper. So there's an author, inspirational speaker named Simon Sinek, and he talks about the importance of an organization identifying its why. So, you know, why does your company exist? Why do you get out of bed every morning? And why does anyone care? And you've talked a little bit about this, but maybe expand, like, what is your why? Our company's why is to, as I mentioned before, the vision is to empower the industry to be a better version of itself. We do that through data and analytics and analysis. We do that through, again, a helping leaders see objectively, like, the market, see the opportunity. And why I love this, why the behind that is, as an example, last year, we did a huge research report called the FAM Project, where we actually unlocked the business case for the women's market, which previously has been underserved. Not because, you know, maybe because of bias, maybe because just it's the way we've always done, but our data unlocked this industry to see there's a massive market opportunity and here's the path forward to build women's sports better to essentially laying out the, the strategy for this market. You think about the underrepresentation of the BIPOC community in sports or our lack of investment in sustainability. So the sports industry is catching up to a lot of other industries in terms of sustainability. There's different youth market I talked about before. We're trying to help this industry make, again, better decisions, but ultimately you know, I always say it's not just the right thing to do. It's good for the bottom line. Everything we do is about like, if I can make business sense, make the bottom line, you know, pop, we can hopefully steer more dollars, more support into women's sports, into sustainability, into these markets within the sports and entertainment space that had been underserved, that had been underinvested. So that's my why's. I want to, I really truly got so much from this being able to play hockey as a, a girl, like girls didn't play hockey. <laughs> I got to travel the world. I was one of the, you know, my, I was the first to graduate university. I got to go to Harvard twice. I mean, I'm the hockey in some ways has just opened the world to me. That's why I'm my wise, like making sure everyone has the opportunity to compete, but the unique angle we take at sports innovation lab is like show the business case to why doing the right thing is also good for your business. I love Simon Snack. I love what he's doing. And I've, I've really tried to pressurize the team. Like, how is our why? Does that get you up at night? And we've had a tremendous amount of applicants for jobs because I think of all the great work we're doing, not just to, you know, typical consulting firm, but like there's a mission behind what we're doing each and every day. Angela, following this theme, we know strong leaders often have strong opinions. What is something <laughs> that you have a strong opinion about? And and perhaps a dangerous question to ask a hockey hall of famer, what gets you fired up? <laughs> well, I think you can kind of hear it in my voice, what I've already been talking about, just inclusion in general. And I think that came as a child when I was told I wasn't allowed to play hockey because I was a girl. I got cut teams. I faced gender discrimination as a nine-year-old. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking, I'm like, mom, dad, why can't I play on this team? I'm, I'm good enough. And they're like, it's because you're a girl and, you know, you're, they're just, you know, a lot of, a lot of women have faced this. Now I'm in the boardroom and usually the only woman in several boardrooms I still sit on. So it, I felt it from, um, from that perspective. I'm also LGBT. I'm married to a woman. We have two beautiful children. I haven't honestly faced as the same type of discrimination through that, you know, intersectionality, if you will, than my gender, which is really interesting, but I'm, I think it's allowed me to then take a step back and, 
whether it's BIPOC communities, whether it's, you know, different groups, maybe you don't speak English and you're therefore you're left out of the sports industry because it's not packaged for just simply your language. I mean, there I've, I've always tried to think about in this industry, if we're going to tackle it personally and professionally, inclusion and, and being diverse is one thing, but being inclusive is very different. It's making sure those voices that you invite to the table have a voice at the table. And so that to me, if like, what do I get fired up about? It's yeah, I want to build a great business. I want to help everyone in the industry succeed and use data to do that. But I also want to make sure we're building it in a very inclusive way so that everyone, again, gets the opportunity to play, but also gets the opportunity to be entertained. Just something as simple as that. Be entertained by this industry, which is an, it's, it is entertaining. It is fun to be a part of. So I'd say uh, DE&I is something that I, that I get all fired up over um, because I personally felt you know, especially as that nine-year-old girl getting left home and my brother got to go to Canada. I was like, what's up with that? <laughs> and and I've felt it ever since, that memory, I guess. You have been a trailblazer in, in so, so many ways. And to take that, what you just said a little bit further. So as an advocate and a creator of platforms for women executives, you do a lot of that, particularly in sports. How can we all, as people, as the business community, better support the advancement of women? And do you have advice for women or for everyone on the topic? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Well, I've, as I mentioned before, I have two sons. Men, I think, hold the purse strings. They hold the power at this point. I'm Anytime I call my co-founder, uh, Josh, my ambassador, any, anytime I can <laughs> find men that are advocates that will, that are willing to put their stand up and say something, it's like, 10 times as strong as when a woman says the same exact thing. So I'm, again, it's about Billie Jean King is a personal friend and mentor of mine. She's all about like, this isn't just about like the women. This is like, we all have to stand up for what's right. And so I always start honestly with the men because I'm like, we could get there much quicker if our boys are enlightened. You know, hopefully my, my sons grow up to stand up for inclusion across the board. For the women though, that are in the systems or in the, the, the industries or in the, you know, the only woman in the room, I'm trying to create a platform for them to come together and have that sisterhood. My team as an example in 2000 stood up for not pay equity, but just more equal treatment, more fair treatment as a hockey team versus like just being happy with kind of the crumbs and being happy to have an opportunity. It was like, no, we should be investing in our marketing. We should be investing in some of the things that we say on the men's side of the house. So for the women, I guess my advice is like form your, I call it your new girls club. You know, the boys help one another. Women haven't historically, in my opinion, done the same extent of networking and playing golf and having a drink and supporting one another and being there, you know, a shoulder to cry on. And it's like, go it alone. And I'm, I'm trying to, again, bring that philosophy that I felt as a hockey player. It's like, no, like strength in numbers, like we're together. And the men do it so well. They, they help one another. And that's our executive leadership boards that we've created at Sports Innovation Lab where I, we basically stood up these executive networks to empower each other to learn from another with our content, with their expertise, but also just the community that comes with, you're not alone. And maybe there's a professional question that you have that the women around you could support you, but maybe it's a personal question too. So um, it's weird to say, like I start with the men, but I, I, but I really truly feel like if men got it and they woke up and they were woke and they're like, I'm going to put my hand up next time I see the discrepancies at my job, 
it's just, we'll get there so much quicker. And, and along the way, you know, sticking together and, and being supportive and knowing they're not alone, I think is, is kind of the way that I approach this, this topic. You know, one of the things this podcast says, we've been doing it a while, has been described a little bit as a master class in leadership. Mm. So since this one features you as the teacher, any other advice that you would have for the listeners, whether up and coming leaders or the current C-suite? Well, I think I always try to figure out if you're talking about leadership, I see a lot of people managing and not leading. And there's a lot of like, we've got our systems, our KPIs, people are aligned. There's a lot of management and then there's leadership and they're very different in my opinion. A great leader, if they're a good manager, like, man, that's, they're going to be, that's the fortune 500. But if you're just talking about leadership, I think something I always consider is you know, like my skill set internally. Leaders to me are the ones that can get people to do things they don't think are possible. Mm-hmm. It's the motivating part. It's the vision part. It's, you know, when I was eight years old saying I wanted to play in the Olympics when women's hockey didn't exist, like helping, helping those in your organization strive to be better versions of themselves and then collectively a better organization. So for me, again, my piece of advice is really to take a step back. And there's some great books out there on this, but just on, are you a manager or are you a leader? And really trying to understand the difference. And, you know, if you really are in that leadership, that C-suite kind of visible role, trying to guess know the difference between the two. And again, I always try to do more of the, um, I know that in my, my position as CEO, there are a lot of great people that can help me organize the company and manage the company, but, but I uniquely have to be the leader of the organization. And again, I don't know if that's a, anyway, we talk about lots of different things, but <laughs> I'd pick one thing. It's, it's like, what can you uniquely do that no one else in the company can do and play to that strength? That's a really powerful insight between the two between management and leadership. Over the last couple of years, the pandemic and events of recent years have demanded more from all of us as leaders and accelerated and amplified some of the changes already underfoot. What are you seeing at your company? What are you seeing in sports? And what did you see at the Olympics, you know, as you follow them as closely as you have? Yeah. Well, we're still trying to manage, like, what's our return to work policy? How do you build team chemistry if you're remote? How do you operate? The shift that we saw during the pandemic um, of we went completely remote and we're still completely remote as a company. I'm following that trend very closely because you know, I'm, I'm a hockey player. I love, love to, you know, let's the locker room, let's get together. Let's, you know, let's have a beer on Friday and get ready for, you know, what a great week and celebrate our wins and talk about how we can do things better the following week. You lose that on zoom or whatever platform you're using. It's, it's a, so this, this pivot from, yes, you can be more effective and get work done at home, but like, it's just been exhausting for everyone. And so what's the right balance between the two? That's one trend. Honestly, John, I'm, I'm following very closely because I, I think I want to get it right. I, I think, and I think not just culturally, but like globally, it's certainly made us more effective, but to what degree is that in-person camaraderie? We talked about, you know, I'm big like on team, how much of that is lost when it's just like you're showing up a job, you see the great, you know, resignation as they call it. And how much of that is due to well, I'm just checking in and out on my like Zoom call every day versus like really feeling like people care. And that's something I realized and as an Olympic athlete is you could get people to run through a wall when they knew they cared about you. You could get people to believe in themselves and the organization when there was that like personal bond and understanding of what we we're trying to do together. And 
doing that again via Zoom where you can't read body language, you can't give people a hug, you can't have a beer on a Friday, you know, it's, hey, let's go out, let's go have a drink after work. Like those little things, while they seem small to me, are collectively what kind of keep the glue of the of the organization together. So that's the trend I'm just like trying to, because look, you save on rent, you're saving on some expenses. Everyone's like, oh, it's great. You know, it's cost effective. People are doing their jobs. But at one point, are we all going to get burnout? At what point do we lose that like connective tissue across the organization? And that, so for me, that's something I'm following both personally, but also, you know, how does this play out with all companies uh, globally? In somewhat of a similar vein, what are some of your, say, personal observations on the economy, on your industry, and maybe some of the changes that are underfoot in the city and the region? Any thoughts on that? What are you optimistic about? What worries you? Well, we just talked about, you know, the digital transformation of like the workspace. That's certainly playing out in my industry and in sports. You know, we, prior to the pandemic, it was something I was, you know, preaching to like, come on, we got to... <laughs> you know, change or be changed. And um, so just in general, the digital transformation of the sports media and entertainment space, when people couldn't go to games, they had to watch at home. And we've done an enormous amount of research around what we call the fluid fan, this future fan that is digitally savvy, but more fickle. You need to do more to entertain them, keep their attention. And kids have, you know, this whole notion that people don't have an attention span anymore. They absolutely do. Have you ever seen them in front of a, a video game or (laughs) you know, playing Fortnite, like it's just, we're not doing it the right way. And so the big trend for me in general is um, again, the digital transformation of all industries. Sports is particularly affected because of this transformation that was accelerated during the pandemic. And it poses an opportunity for those that get it right. That recognize that, okay, maybe fans don't have to pack the stadium, but we can get exponentially more at home and globally. I mean, that's why the NBA is so successful. They've tapped into every international market versus just staying here, focused on domestic, you know, ticket sales and sponsorship. They know they're a global digital distribution platform. So I think it's one of the biggest risks to the entertainment space, but also the biggest opportunity. And so I would just summarize the the digital transformation of the way we work, the way we live, the way we were entertained. I shop, you know, I push five buttons now to order my groceries every week and I don't have to go into the store and it's fantastic. And that same behavioral change that we're seeing in all of our lives is certainly transforming into the sports and saying, well, why can't I order my jersey in five buttons? Why can't I order a beer to the stands in a couple pushes? There's there's a changing expectation I think of us as consumers that some industries have absolutely monetized and leaned into and others are like, "Uh Oh, we need to keep up and others just are missing. And so there's going to be a big, I think shift coming out of this. So yeah, digital transformation in general, with us all being at home, you know, who's, who's capitalizing on your attention now and, and doing it well. Angela, it really sounds like that's your call to action for your peers and others in the business community. You know, those who are listening in, Is digital transformation what you would stand out and say it's a call to action or would you have something in addition to that? Yeah, for my peers in my industry, it's certainly, do you understand these behavioral changes and are you building the experiences, the consumer experiences, the fan experiences that those with those changing expectations? And yeah, how do you connect to the consumer in a personalized way in a way that, again, it mimics the way that we consume on Fortnite or 
Netflix or some of these other platforms that I'm obsessed with. And I'm like, oh, great. Another suggestion. It knows me. Great. I'll like binge watch all weekend. I, you know, so my call to action for this industry is like, know your fan, know your, your fluid fan, as we call it, like really understand how their behavior shifted because of the pandemic. And then where you need to invest in technology, which we specialize in to keep their attention, to keep you know, building experiences that again, capture their hearts and minds. And, and again, that digital transformation piece is a huge one. People are cutting their cords or they're, or they're just like downloading more apps. They're downloading more, they're, you know, more OTT subscriptions. Everyone's got like a huge bundle now of like 10 different platforms you're subscribing to. And so we know, okay, if you can get them to the stadium, it's gotta be top notch. But part of the beauty of being in a stadium is just being around other people. But this digital transformation, I always say the Olympics, I mean, 99.9% of people will never actually attend an Olympic Games. But we all know the brand and we've all watched it and consume it and we love it. Isn't that interesting? There's like tiny percentage of that is like being in person. The rest is all, you know, global reach and distribution. And so again, this digital piece is so important because that's how, that's this transformation we're, we're under right now where fans of sports will want have that kind of expectation. Like, I don't care where I am in the world. I want the content I want, where I want it, how I want it in the packages I want it. And so, you know, it kind of all comes back to this digital transformation that again, I see other, other forms of entertainment kind of doing better than the sports industry, but we're at least leaning in, which is the encouraging part. How have you approached innovation in sports? Yeah, so it's in our name. Uh, so we have high expectations. You know what innovation is. And we thought long and hard about this. Our focus as a company has always been on that fan, that fluid fan. Last year, we published a report called the top 25 most innovative teams in sport. We thought if we could really isolate what are the most important elements to having an innovative team, we could help the industry, again, make the best decisions, structure their teams appropriately. So our second most innovative report comes out um, this month in May and, you know, go on our website, sportsilab.com to, to download that. And what's really behind that are three things. If you, if you're, you know, we said innovation is important and look, you could be the biggest sports organization in the world and not be innovative. So we said, well, what makes you innovative? Well, one, you should be uh, diversifying your revenue rather than just beholden to ticket sales and linear rights or just, you know, growth in your sponsorship categories there's so many new ways you can diversify your revenue and in through that gain more, more fans. So think NFTs, think your VRAR investments, think, um, you know, new ways, the food and beverage, the restaurants that are around your, your venue, right. You have a mixed use venue. There's so many, there are other diverse ways to drive revenue. And we think again, that will protect you to some extent down the future. If say people don't go to the venue because, we have a pandemic. <laughs> um, two, investment in technology, which could be a cost center sometimes, but if you're investing in the right technology, it's a fan engagement strategy. And it again, allows you to um, lay the foundational work for any new revenue stream. So, so technology investments that align with those consumers, those fluid fans that you should uniquely understand. And then third, which I'm really proud of is what we call organizational agility which encompasses some of what we talked about before, the diversity and inclusion. What does your team look like? How are they structured? Do you have a business analytics team that, that understands data? Or do you have an incubator or an accelerator that gets you access to new ideas, new talent? Are you diverse in just 
how you think, which is somewhat a reflection of how, you know, how you look. Um, so we call that organizational agility. So those are the three things, revenue diversification, technology investment, and organizational agility that we believe are the most important pillars to innovation in uh, a sports team. And again, I'll, I'll plug our fan project. Uh, we're going to, we're going to have an, a second report coming out again in, in here, right around the corner where we go really deep on the data around the business opportunity for the women's sports market. Um, and that's men and women that consume women's sports. They want it different. They're going to go deep. They're super um, dynamic and engaged. And, and there's a huge, huge opportunity right now if you invest. Um, I think the ROI is going to be exponentially better because you're getting in early. They're kind of like the startups of the sports industry versus, okay, you're going to invest in a men's property that it, you know is still growing, but maybe at not the same rate. So the Fan Project 2.0 is really doing a deeper dive on that report from last year. And hopefully we'll lay out the strategy for anyone that's thinking about investing or doing more in the women's sports landscape. Angela, we always close with some rapid fire questions. Okay, so off the top of your head, you ready? <laughs> yeah. What are you currently reading or watching? I'm watching, like I said, I've been binge watching The Last Kingdom on Netflix. <laughs> I love fantasy and like, these are the Vikings. I mean, you can't, so I'm, I'm binge watching that on Netflix. I love my subscription to Harvard Business Review. I'm big on, you know, I went there, so I'm a bit of a, you know, nerd, uh, if you will. But just, um, if I have time to read, it typically it's it's all uh, nonfiction, like business-related books. So I, I like my HBR subscription if I had to pick kind of print. Who's your favorite sports figure? So retired, I, I give her a shout out, Billie Jean King, who's like, you know, like the godmother of like women's sports and just like a cool human being in general. On the pitch or on the court today, uh, I would say Serena Williams. I love what she's doing as an athlete, but also like she just started a venture fund. She's, you know, investor in uh, Angel City Football Club. LeBron James, similar thing. He like started a school. I mean, I, I love the athletes that are not just athletes and using their platform to do good, you know, start charities, invest in their own future too. Like I, I really love those that are setting the example for, for athletes behind them um, that like you could be more than just an athlete and doing that while they're active, which is really hard to do. So yeah, LeBron's doing that well. Serena's done that well. Yeah. If I had a couple, couple shout outs. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Hockey player. I mean, <laughs> I actually showed up to the um, career day in the second grade in my smelly hockey equipment. <laughs> oh, and my great. teacher was like, this is Southern California. They're like, what are you? Like, who are you? And it's funny. I had to like pick someone. I was like, I don't know. Wayne Gretzky, uh, Corey Howe. Because <laughs> girls great. hockey wasn't in the Olympics. But uh, yeah. now hopefully people will be like, oh, they have someone to look up to. Yeah, I just want to be a hockey player. I mean, which is crazy. And I got to do it. Pretty cool. What's on your bucket list? My bucket list is, uh, I love to travel and it's hard now with kids. <laughs> um, going to... New Zealand, Fiji. Uh, there's a few more exotic, warm places that are, that I'm dying to get to, and just have some, you know, more of a connection to nature. So yeah, some more of that that part of the world. Do some scuba diving. Um, yeah, it's a long trip get, to getting over there. So places that didn't have hockey rinks that you traveled to already. Exactly, John. You nailed it on the head. I've been to like. Finland and Sweden and Germany and everywhere, the U.S., absolutely Canada. But yeah, you nailed it on the head. 
all the warm weather spots that I would have loved to have traveled to as a hockey player and just never hosted tournaments. <laughs> and where's your happy place in Massachusetts? Happy place. Well, my home, uh, certainly, uh, you know, where my family is, but um, I love the water. So anytime I can get, even downtown, our, our offices are across the street from uh, North Station. But when I just go for walks during the day, when I can break away from, from work, just going along the water and like, it's so tranquil to me. So anytime I can get to any of the beaches or, or even just on a busy work day, like take an hour, go buy a sandwich, sit by the water. Like I, my, my mind just like slows down. So um, anywhere on the coast, certainly the Cape, Nantucket, I don't know. I'll keep going on and on. I've, I've <laughs> so many great spots here. And finally, what's a wish you have for Boston? Wish I have for Boston. I think I've been thinking about this more now that my kids are entering school, but just our public education system, ensuring that, you know, we're, we're doing everything to make sure our kids are uh, mind, body, and spirit. Like they've, that we're, we're not just trying to get the score that we're really investing in like the holistic approach to our, our children and giving them the tools to be successful. And the majority of them will leave probably they'll go, you know, go to school somewhere else. So they'll come back at some point, but, uh, but yeah, my wish for bosses, make sure our, our kids have all the tools they need to be successful in life. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insights. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm John Bernstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Angela Ruggiero, Chief Executive Officer of the Sports Innovation Lab. You can find C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time. You've been listening to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. This podcast and other engaging episodes can be found at bizjournals.com slash Boston. Search PNC. Subscribe at the Boston Business Journal, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Come back soon and join us for another PNC C-Speak.